Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. The woke madness in history education is off the rails. Well, how do we change it? McClanahanAcademy.com. And because you listen to this podcast, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you get 25% off every day, all day, 365 days a year, on every class at McClanahanAcademy.com. So go to McClanahanAcademy.com, use coupon code PODCAST at checkout, and get a real history education at 25% off. If you like this podcast and you want it without advertisements, head over to patreon.com and become a member of the Brian McClanahan Show. For 10 bucks a month, you get all the podcasts ad-free, including video, and you also get a special Q&A podcast. I'm only going to answer your questions, your listener-generated episodes, through those Q&As. So head over to patreon.com, Get this podcast ad-free, no ads, not even things like this, and you really do help support The Brian McClanahan Show with really cool stuff on the back end. If you follow me for some time, you know I write a lot about the South, and my book, Southern Scribblings, is a collection of many of those essays. It's a great book. You're really going to want it. It tells you why I think the Southern tradition should be preserved and why it should be respected. Get Southern Scribblings at Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, wherever books are sold online. You're really going to love it. Nikki Haley gets blasted in South Carolina and loses by 20 points. But remember that time that she got something right? Well, I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Well, we're going to talk Nikki Haley maybe for the last time in this election cycle. I hope so. And I've talked about this issue before when Nikki Haley actually said something right about secession. But since we focused a lot on decentralization this week, we had a discussion about nullification on Tuesday and, of course, secession on Wednesday. We're going to wrap up the week with a positive assessment of something Nikki Haley said. You cannot accuse me of not presenting... Something positive about Nikki Haley. Now, of course, she backpedaled on this and backtracked and did everything she did to cover her tracks after she said it. But as, as uh, 2010 or so, she was saying the exact same thing. Of course, five years before she disastrously made probably the greatest political mistake of her life, and that is kowtowing to the left in South Carolina. But... In 2010, Nikki Haley was completely supportive of secession and nullification. She thought those were a good idea. And of course, here she is in 2024, 14 years later, saying, you know, I think that the states can leave. Texas, of course, won't leave, but I think the states can leave. And of course, the outcry, the backlash. Oh my gosh, how can Nikki Haley say these things? She knows better. She knows the war was about slavery and secession is all about slavery. We know that's, of course, not the case. We know secession is not all about slavery. We know there's lots of people in the United States that wanted to secede for a lot of different reasons. In fact, there's a pretty good book on this. gets into a lot of different reasons that people wanted to leave the Union. It's entitled Break It Up by Richard Kreitner. And Kreitner's a leftist. Um, he's, but he does examine the issue of secession from a lot of different angles. It's a pretty good book. So we have this issue of secession being placed at the forefront of the American political discourse now, which is fantastic. 
That's where it needs to be. We need to have more discussions about decentralization, nullification, secession, federalism. These are good conversations to have because at the end of the day, the net result will be greater power for the people of the states, greater power for the states, and less power for the despots in Washington, D.C. Of course, they all know it, that if they really are going to follow the Constitution, they're in trouble because the central authority doesn't have any sovereignty. We talked about that on Tuesday. There's no sovereignty in the central authority. It doesn't exist. They have powers, but no sovereignty. They're not sovereign over anything. The states are. The states are sovereign over them because they created the central authority, and they can get rid of it. They can abolish it if they choose to do so. The only thing that can do that is a sovereign authority. Now you could say, well, it's the people can do that. Well, the people of the states and the people acting in their states can do that. So this issue is not going to go away. The problem is you've got people like Nikki Haley, when they say something right, are forced into apologizing by a bunch of Lincolnian idiots on the left and the right. This is not just on the left. This is people like the West Coast Straussians. This is all the Lincolnians out there. I did a podcast on this a little while ago. The mental gymnastics that Michael Anton had to go through to make Lincoln a secessionist. It was hilarious. Now, of course, Lincoln had some positive things to say about secession at one point during the Mexican War when he thought it might be a pretty good idea. But, of course, you get just about a decade later, and no, 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 I didn't, I didn't do that. See, Nikki Haley is a perfect Republican in so many ways. Republicans have always been flip-floppers. Lincoln was a flip-flopper. Lincoln was never principled enough to, to do anything. I mean, you can say, well, yes, he was. He was principled to this and this. Well, sort of. I mean, if he was principled anti-slavery, well, then he wouldn't have supported, say, the Corwin Amendment. He wouldn't have done that. Uh, he wouldn't have said Southerners can keep their slaves until 1900, maybe even 1920. He wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have told Southerners they can come back in and vote down the 13th Amendment. He wouldn't have done that. Maybe he was a principled Republican majoritarian, but I don't know. Was he even that? Lincoln was always a politician, and that's what the Republican Party has been for a very long period of time. Now, maybe the radicals were much more principled than Lincoln was. They were certainly interested in extreme centralization of power. But regardless, Nikki Haley is the ideal Republican Party, the stupid party candidate. She really is. You know, Donald Trump is something else. And he's tapping into this very populist impulse of America, which is, you know, all, which has always been there, right? I mean, since the early 19th century. In fact, as you're getting this show tomorrow, speaking of populism, tomorrow, March 1st, will be the launch of my latest class at McClanahan Academy, American Populism. And if you use the coupon code POPULISM at checkout, you're going to get a really good deal. A lot off, nearly half off for using the coupon code POPULISM. So, American Populism launches tomorrow. I don't talk about Donald Trump specifically in that class in terms of anything that he said, but I do mention him. And of course, there's a lot of other good red meat in there. If you really want to understand American politics, you need to understand this populist strain. That's what Donald Trump is representing. Nikki Haley is really an establishment candidate. But again, every now and then she says something right. 
And if she had any political chops whatsoever, and she really wanted to appeal to the people that are going to get her into office, then she would double down on these things. And she did. She knew this in 2010. She knew it. That's how she got elected governor of South Carolina. But as uh, 2015 came around, and of course now we are almost a decade out from that, Nikki Haley has become just another Mitt Romney. That's all she is. She's just another Mitt Romney. She's an establishment centrist candidate trying to... uh, to gather votes from those who are disaffected, those who just don't like Trump, those who don't like Joe Biden. That's what she's trying to do. Because she is just as hawkish as Joe Biden in foreign policy. The Democrats and Republicans are the same there. This is what the populists have always pointed out. They really are just the uniparty with varying degrees of difference, shades of difference, right? They're all, they're all just blue. It's different shades of blue. That's what we get. Maybe they're more like shades of red, right? The red Republicans. So let me get into this piece. You can't accuse me either of not reading something that I think is good. And this is a piece by Bill Watkins, colleague of mine. It ran at Real Clear Politics. And the title of the piece is fantastic. It says, The Right to Secession. Nikki Haley gets it. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. This is Real Clear History, not Real Clear Politics. But Real Clear, they put out these uh, pieces. And uh, every now and then they have some good stuff. And this is a good one. The right to secession, Nikki Haley gets it. Now, Watkins is a really good legal scholar. In fact, um, in March, we're also going to have at the Abbeville Institute a webinar on uh, the 14th Amendment, which is part of this, and Raoul Berger. And he's going to be one of the panelists on that particular topic. So you're going to want to check that out if you're if you're not getting the Abbeville Institute uh, emails. That's where we announce these kind of things. So head on over there and get those. But this is going to be a really fun discussion about the 14th Amendment. And Watkins is, again, very good legal scholar uh, living in South Carolina. So this is Nikki Haley's backyard, right? But he says this. Neocon Warhawk Nikki Haley is rarely shy about using force against other people. True. Most recently, she has called for airstrikes on Iran and Syria, imposition of aggressive economic sanctions, and the elimination of leaders supposedly tied to a drone attack on U.S. soldiers stationed in Jordan. The foreign policy establishment applauds her bellicosity. President Biden apparently believes her advice sage and in recent days has used U.S. air power to attack multiple targets in the Middle East. Right, So this is what you get. Nikki Haley is just as aggressive. Joe Biden is just as aggressive as the Republicans. In fact, I remember years ago I had a student. He was in the military. And he said, if you want a war, vote for Democrats. This is true. You go back and look at the major American wars. The only exception in the last, say, half century would be George W. Bush with the and George H.W. Bush and the Gulf Wars. But you know what? They're just progressives, too. I mean, George W. Bush is a Wilsonian. But you look at the major wars. I mean, you've got World War I, World War II, Democrats, Korean War, Democrat, Vietnam War, Democrat, the escalation of that. I mean, you go back to Eisenhower with the early involvement of America after Dien Bien Phu in, in Vietnam. But regardless, you've got Democrats really pushing the envelope, Kennedy, Johnson. The only exception would be the Bushes. And look, this is where the Republican Party used to be anti-war. It used to be interest when you had you know, Robert Taft. There used to be a, a certainly a strain of anti-imperialism, anti-interventionism in the Republican Party. That's gone. 
at least in the establishment. Now what we have is Warhawk and bomb away, you know, bomb, 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 bomb around. This is, uh, you know, John McCain. There was actually a song on that too, by the way. It was back in the 80s. But he says this, but uh, Watkins says this, but in an uncharacteristic lapse into humanity, Haley has drawn the ire of pundits. When appearing on the Breakfast Club radio show hosted by Charlemagne the God, Mr. God asked whether a President Haley would use force against Texas if it seceded from the Union. <laughs> I love that. Charlemagne the God. Mr. God, right? So are, if, if Texas leaves, are you going to send in the tanks? Haley tried to dodge the question, but when pressed, she said, quote, if Texas decides they want to do that, they can do that. If the whole state says we don't want to be part of America anymore, I mean, that's their decision to make. Thus, Haley would not spill the blood of Texans or Americans if Texas sought to withdraw from the Union. I mean, again, if she had just doubled down on this position, people would have loved Nikki Haley. They would have. The problem is you've got the lefties, and then you've got the Lincolnians on the right who went ballistic. There are people like you know Bill Bennett saying, if there's one person in a seceded state that wants to remain in the United States, we're sending in the tanks. So notice that Haley said, if the whole state says, right, so you have to have 100% unanimity on this, then they can go. Of course, she leaves the out. If one person says, though, that they want to stay in the United States, we're not going to support Texas secession. Well, you're never going to have unanimous support, unless you're South Carolina in 1860. You had it there. But other than that, you're really never going to have unanimous support for this. There was, you know, people were opposed to secession in many of the, in all the states, except for really, you know, South Carolina in 1860 and 61, you had those that would argue against it. So unanimous support is very difficult to get, so it allows you that out. Well, I mean, if everybody wants to do it, then I guess we'll go with it, but it's not going to happen, she would say. It's not going to happen, she said. That's not going to happen, which is probably true in terms of you're setting the bar that high. Unanimous support, yeah, it's not going to happen. Watkins says, a pox on her house. Leftist pundits have described Haley's peacenik remarks as a bizarre gaffe and claim that Haley knows better. The New York Times lamented the statement and announced that the states are just lines on a map with no constitutional significance. Of course, that's Jamel Bowie, which I already talked about on the show. A real Republican president, we are told, would not flinch at the loss of 620,000 on the battlefield. Haley needs to get with the Lincolnian program. Feeling the heat, Haley walked back her comments rather than sticking to principle. But this was not enough for the mainstream media. Right. So a real Lincolnian is, gonna, is just going to sacrifice 620,000. Actually, the number is close to a million. When you look at civilian deaths and everything else. A million people. The Union is worth a million dead which was a huge percentage of the American population in 1865. It's worth it. Maintaining this territorial integrity is worth the loss of a million people. We got to keep the states like this. We got to keep the United States like this. It's all worth it. Encouraging Haley, commentators repeatedly assert that the Constitution does not mention secession, and thus states may not leave the Union. Of course, the Constitution mentions nothing about abortion, but the same commenters howl because the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade based on its lack of a constitutional grounding, right? So, I mean, it is, their inconsistency is just hilarious here. But, again, this is a whole nother issue. 
in some ways. Roe v. Wade is, a, is an attack on states and having the flexibility to do what they want. There's nothing in the Constitution that prohibits states from having a, a role in that process or in those, le, that, those pieces of legislation, which is what the Supreme Court did in the Dobbs decision, just returned it back to the states where it belongs. Of course, there is no prohibition on secession in the Constitution. If you understand reserve powers, which I've talked about here, then the states can leave the Union. If it doesn't say they can't leave, they can leave because it's a power of the states. The Tenth Amendment makes this clear. You have to understand reserve powers. It's one of the things that, if you go back and look at the ratification debates, was emphasized over and over and over again. James Wilson said it. Tenge Cox said it. This was early on. This is September, October of 1787, or more October. Yeah, September, October, October, you know, November. This is the early days of debates over ratification when reserve powers were made clear. These are the things. And then, of course, James Wilson didn't just say it in the State House yard speech. He said it in the Philadelphia Ratifying or the Pennsylvania Ratifying Convention. He said it there. We know we can point to the Federalist essays when they do it. Of course, in the Virginia Ratifying Convention, the New York Ratifying Convention, even Alexander Hamilton said these things. The proponents of the document spoke highly of reserved powers, which would mean that the states are, can do anything they want that's not prohibited by the Constitution. Show me in the document where it says a state can't leave the Union, which would make it a reserved power. Friends of uh, centralization argued that the Civil War settled the issue, and the Supreme Court agreed in Texas v. White. But the Reconstruction Congress also agreed that blacks and whites should attend segregated schools in Washington, D.C., and separate but equal was established Supreme Court precedent for years. Fortunately, settled constitutional mistakes can always be rectified. Yeah, I mean, this is a valid point, too. The Supreme Court changes its mind. Which is funny. I mean, I pointed this out with Bill O'Reilly. We've got to listen to the Supreme Court. What about this case? No, that's a bad decision. We don't listen to that. What about this case? No, 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 we don't listen to that. You see, all the hypocrisy, all the hot air and bloviate, and it just it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So then Watkins asks, how would the framers and ratifiers of the Constitution react to Haley's remarks? With cheers, he says. The independent states forming the Union would not exist without absent a secession from the British Empire. Every American revolutionary was a believer and a participant in secession. Now, this is where the Jaffaites, the West Coast Straussians, would lose their mind. No, 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 that wasn't secession. That wasn't anything of the sort. This wasn't secession. It wasn't secession. This was a revolution. It was a revolution, not secession. They weren't constituent parts. They were overthrowing a government and reestablishing a new, and establishing, or I should say, a new government. That's revolution, which is, well, which is what was happening, and also in 1860-61, is revolution. You just lost. There's no secession, only revolution, because the states were never really independent. In this case, in 1776, they didn't have states yet. The states were created by the center. See, this is, has, their argument has to be really convoluted here. But we know that what they did, I mean, you look at New England states, they kept the colonial charters in place in many of these states. They didn't even create new constitutions. So they didn't really overthrow any government. They just got rid of the king and kept the government they had. Many states did write new constitutions, but they essentially kept what they had in place. 
It wasn't radical. It wasn't revolutionary, in other words. It was simply saying our legislatures are equal to that legislature. We don't need the king. The king has abdicated his authority here, so we're just going to go with what we got. It was secession. Patrick Henry said the states were independent in 1765, long before 1775 and 1776. The Constitution, drafted just four years after the Treaty of Paris ended the War of Independence, did not reject our revolutionary principles. Had pro-ratification forces, the Federalists, claimed that after ratifying a state could not leave the Union, we would still be governed by the Articles of Confederation. The people were already leery about the proposed federal government, and three states ratified ratification conventions, I'm sorry, explicitly claimed the power to reassume powers delegated to the federal government, i.e. to secede. This is true. These are resumption clauses. If the federal government becomes too powerful, we can resume our status as an independent state. In other words, they can secede from the Union. They understood all this. Look, George Washington and um, Edmund Randolph made it clear that the only reason they supported the Constitution, I mean, Washington, not as much as Randolph, but Randolph, who had, who had opposed it in Philadelphia, made it clear that in Virginia, the only reason he was supporting it is because he became afraid that Virginia would attempt to be independent, and he thought that would be a disaster for his state. So even though he held his nose and, and voted for it in Virginia, that's the only reason he did it. In the early 1790s, senators from New England were frustrated with Southern insistence that the United States retaliate against the British because of affronts to American commerce. Senator Rufus, senators Rufus King and Oliver Ellsworth from Massachusetts and Connecticut, respectively, approached Senator John Taylor of Virginia to discuss a peaceful dissolution of the Union. Nothing came from the talks, but more significantly, no one doubted their propriety. John Taylor was shocked by this. He thought, dang, we just got this thing. What are these people are talking about? Secession? But still, people were talking about it. This is true. 1794. We we're already talking about secession. And King and Ellsworth had been instrumental in the process of ratification of the Constitution. So these guys thought it was possible. Clearly it was. As Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence, noted in 1819, quote, If any state in the Union will declare that it prefers separation to a continuance in the Union, I have no hesitation in saying, let us separate. Yeah. Now, Jefferson uh, didn't think it was a wise thing to do, but he always had very negative things to say about New England. You know, they, they, they saddle us and ride us very hard. And, uh, remember, and, I mean, even during his first inaugural, he said, you know, people are talking about secession, let them talk about it. We don't think it's right, but let them do it. We're not going to coerce them to do anything else. Belief in secession was practically universal in the early American Republic. The celebrated American historian Robert Romini has noted that Andrew Jackson in the 1830s was the first and only statesman of the early national period to deny publicly the right of secession. It's a pretty profound statement. Even if you look at Daniel Webster, Webster was a secessionist in 1815. Webster was a secessionist in 1812, or at least a nullification supporter. In 1812, New England was leading the way. <clears throat> the framers and ratifiers did not see states as lines drawn on paper, but as pre-existing political communities where the people exercise ultimate authority. 
Consequently, the Constitution required that the people acting in separate state conventions ratify the Constitution. Of course, John Marshall, which we talked about Jamel Bowie, well, this is how else were they going to do it? Well, because the Constitution says it has to be ratified by states. So it's not by people, it's by states. I mean, this is where Marshall's just completely lost it. The Philadelphia Convention did not consider for a national act of ratification because its members understood the place of people of the several states in the American political theory. Or I should say, I mean, better term than theory. See, I don't like this term theory. I love Bill. I don't like this term theory, though. It's a fact in the American political fact. There's no theory here. There's no theory about the federal nature of the American Republic. It's federal. The states have always been primary. It's not a theory. It's a fact. We give too much when we call it a compact theory. Way too much. Because then there's other theories. There's this theory, there's that theory. No, no, no. Those are theories. A national theory is a theory because there's nothing to back that up. The compact fact is a fact because all the evidence is on that side. We have to be clear about this. Nationalism in the United States is a theory unsupported, unsubstantiated by any historical evidence. What we have is a compact fact. We have a federal republic of states. That is a fact. Hence, James Madison averred in his Virginia Resolutions of 1798 that, quote, the powers of the federal government result from the compact to which the states are parties. Jefferson in his Kentucky Resolutions of 1798 further noted that, quote, each party to the compact has an equal right to judge for itself as well as infractions as of the mode of measure and measure of redress. In other words, a state in its highest sovereign capacity can choose to leave the Union when its rights are trampled. True. Now, uh, everyone goes back to that. Again, we often go, you know, go back to the principles of 98. And these the, uh, Virginia Kentucky resolutions are fantastic, but as I've said on this show, we can go back even further than that. 30 years before this, when we had both Southerners and Northerners talking about nullification, the way, and not just talking about it, in doing it. They were doing it. They were actually engaging in nullification with the Stamp Act, the Intolerable Acts. I mean, this was happening in the 1760s and 1770s. Even in Virginia, you would have the Governor in Richmond make decrees that the, that the counties wouldn't follow. That was a form of nullification. This is the American principle. It's very populist, by the way, but it is the American principle. This is why Haley doesn't get it. The establishment never gets it because the establishment is a centralizing entity. It has to be. The progressives were centralizers, and the progressives infected everything, left and right. And if you're going to be a progressive, you have to have central control. The populists have always been much more decentralized, reactionary, interested in you know, the local over anything else. That's an important part of American conservatism. Watkins concludes, he says, Haley's initial embrace of secession was not a gaffe, but evinced an understanding of our federal system. Unfortunately, she retreated when faced with criticism. Nonetheless, she should be praised for her refusal to call for military attacks in case of a hypothetical Texas secession when appearing on The Breakfast Club. 
if she would just learn to exercise the same restraint in sending American forces abroad, she might merit consideration at the ballot box. Yeah, I mean, we're having this movie come up in April, Civil War, where state secedes, we got to send in the army. This is the default position. It's the Lincolnian position. But it doesn't have to be that way. We know. We know this is a fact because, well, when James Buchanan was president, we had secession, and the military wasn't sent in anywhere. So it doesn't have to happen that way. Between November of 1860 and March of 1861, really until April of 1861, even when Lincoln was president for the first month, you had his cabinet saying, we can't, we can't do anything with Sumter. We can't do that. It's going to be a disaster. Winfield Scott, no, 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 don't send in the troops. So we know from basically all of December, January, February, and even all of March, four months, we had secession without war. Because we didn't send in any troops. There wasn't any effort made to provision forts. We had a situation where Southerners were trying to buy these things and Lincoln and Seward were refusing to meet with them. Seward was much more open to it. Lincoln, not so much. So, secession doesn't mean war. That's a choice. That's a choice. And Haley's position here would be to choose peace rather than war. What a refreshing thing to say. Secession really is the American tradition. Independence, federalism, this is, a, this is a fact of the American order. We can debate whether it's a good idea or not. We can talk about whether this is something that should happen. But we should never use the Lincolnian position as the default position. In fact, Lincoln should be ostracized, should be booted out of any kind of discussion of American principles because of his actions in 1861, and then, of course, presiding over the bloodiest and nastiest war in American history. Why should we celebrate that kind of thing? Well, because it had a moral component to it, or at least that's what happened after the war was over, when people started talking about the war, maybe in 1863 when you get the Emancipation Proclamation, however, they didn't free any slaves. But once the war is over, you have to come up with a moral justification for slaughtering a million people. Well, that has to be, it can't just be the Union. It can't be a territorial integrity. That doesn't work. you got to have something else. Then it became freeing the slaves. But we all know, as Thad Stevens pointed out, right at the end of the war, 1865, show me where Lincoln freed any slaves. Show me where any of this happened. Nobody, we didn't free any slaves during the war. We didn't do this at all. We didn't free slaves till after the war. And so this is the important thing to note. The moral righteousness, the moral cover that's used to justify slaughtering people is a farce. And at the end of the day, Lincoln's position, Lincoln's determination to preserve the Union and collect the tariff which was enforce the laws, that's what he's talking about, was paramount to a million lives. That, that should be denounced. And Nikki Haley, by saying, I wouldn't send in the troops, took the correct, she took the Jeffersonian position in this more than anything else. All right. Don't forget, American Populism launches tomorrow. Use the coupon code POPULISM to get the class for a huge discount. It's available March 1st. It'll be available only for about a week at that price. So you want to pick it up, and I talk a lot about these issues in that class. 
See you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.